Hi, I'm Len Epp from LeanPub, and in this Lean Publishing podcast, I'll be interviewing Jason Gilmore. Jason is a Columbus, Ohio-based software developer, writer, and consultant. His recent projects include a Linux-powered autonomous environmental monitoring buoy and an e-commerce analytics application for a globally recognized publisher. Jason is the author of eight books on web development, including the best-selling Beginning PHP and MySQL 4th Edition, Easy PHP Websites with the Zen Framework 2nd Edition, and three LeanPub books, Easy Active Record for Rails Developers, Easy Laravel 5, and most recently, Easy E-Commerce using Laravel and Stripe, which he wrote along with his co-author Eric Barnes. Jason has also published over 300 articles in publications such as Developer.com, JSMag, and Linux Magazine, and he has instructed hundreds of students in the United States and Europe. In this interview, we're going to talk about Jason's professional interests, his books, his experiences using LeanPub, and ways we can improve LeanPub for him and other authors. So thank you, Jason, for being on the Lean Publishing Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's uh, quite a pleasure and an honor. Thanks, thanks. Um, I'd like to start maybe with a, with a biographical question, um, going, going way back, perhaps. Um, can you tell us how you first became interested in being a software developer? Sure. I, I, uh, I think I've spent the majority of my life sitting in front of a computer of varying types. And I, by the time I, I went to college, it was really a foregone conclusion that I would wind up in software just out of uh, a pure interest in the topic that has uh, generally been it's been a lifelong interest. And I really at the time didn't know where I would end up uh, in the software world, but uh, I, I just knew I had to find a place uh, somewhere within the industry and, um, and I've had a lot of fun ever since. So did you study um, computer science? I did. I uh, studied computer science at uh, the Ohio State University based right here in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, upon graduation, uh, have since spent the majority of the last 17 years or so working for really a wide variety of companies and clientele. I've spent the majority of my career working as an independent contractor. And I've worked uh, with universities, with startups, small mom and pop type businesses, and uh, as well as a lot, lot of other uh, larger organizations as well. And I've always found it, I guess, very interesting because no matter whether it's a mom and pop organization or a large company, there's always a new and unique angle to the project you're working on. So um, I, I've really enjoyed Really, every minute of it, I guess. I imagine, I imagine working freelance, or, or well, maybe perhaps independently, might be a better word. Must must have a lot of advantages in terms of control over your time and the projects that you're working on. Oh, I'm absolutely, especially I think, and this happens to a lot of, I guess, more experienced developers. You, over time, begin to have the the luxury, if you will, of of choosing more interesting projects. And, and that has certainly been the case in recent years. I've uh, had the opportunity to work on a variety of e-commerce projects, both on the, the sales side and the analytics side. Uh, I've worked on some data warehousing projects. And as you mentioned in my, my bio, had this really, really fascinating opportunity to work on a... Um, a, a Linux-powered um, environmental monitoring device 
which was way out of my general scope of knowledge. So it was quite a challenging project and uh, a lot of fun. So uh, like I said, it's just, it's, it's great to work in this capacity because there really always seems to be something, something interesting going on. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds really interesting and, and uh, to have such a wide array of, of things to work on and, you know, never knowing what's around the next band. Um, and I was wondering, perhaps this is related to that, but um, at what point did you start writing about, about your work? Interestingly enough, my writing career, if you will, started almost at the very same time that I landed my first um, professional programming gig. And uh, very long story short, I was living overseas at the time and I was working for, uh, or I should say on a project in, uh, in Italy for a company in Italy. And it just so happened that it was PHP based. And at the time, of course, PHP was, this was 1998, I think. PHP was, of course, just a few short years old at that time. So I was scouring the web for learning resources and happened upon a website that is still around today called devshed.com. And I went to the homepage. I remember this like it was yesterday. I went to the homepage. And there was an ad, a banner on the front page that said, DevShed is looking for authors. And I thought, wow, that sounds like it might be interesting. So I, I emailed the um, individual running the site. It was a gentleman named Randy Cosby. And um, sent along a couple article ideas uh, for, it was, uh, for both PHP and MySQL related topics. And um, as I mentioned, they were looking for authors. So Randy was uh, excited that, that somebody had inquired, I guess. And uh, next thing I know, I was, I was writing regular articles for the website and really enjoyed that. And really, I, interestingly, that began what I commonly refer to as my two careers mm -hmm. in the software industry. One hands-on doing development and consulting and the other a much more let's call it academic career in which I was at least attempting to educate my my fellow developers in in some fashion and that that project led to work for now I'm dating myself this was a long time ago work for I did some early tutorials for the very new mysql.com at the time. And again, they were very happy uh, to receive material, I guess, and wrote for uh, zen.com, wrote for O'ReillyNet when they were actively publishing tutorials, web review, and a wide variety of, of publications uh, that were really popular at the time, I guess. And a lot of those have gone away. But uh, what, what that did was give me experience, right? I, I, prior to that, had really no writing experience other than that gained at college, writing the occasional essay. So this was a great way to formulate my thoughts and, I guess, prove to myself that I understood whatever that topic was. And again, back then, it was primarily PHP and MySQL. Mm -hmm. And... Um, over the years, again, that that led to writing for Linux Magazine, 
um, to tech targets. So a wide variety of, of publications. And it um, gave me, a, I guess, the experience to, again, formulate these thoughts and try and try and communicate a usually highly technical topic in a understandable way. And I continued doing that very regularly, um, certainly on a monthly basis, all the way up through graduating from college. I returned to the United States, grad finished my degree, and um, I'm not sure it was two weeks after I had graduated that I received an email from a gentleman named Gary Cornell, who was a, a founder of A-Press, the computer book publisher. Mm -hmm. And Gary said in, in the email, I also remember this like it was yesterday, I really like your PHP articles. Do you want to write a book? And I had never in a million years considered this idea of writing a book. And I uh, thought, well, I'm, I'm, again, I had just graduated. I was doing some contract work even at that time. And I responded and said, sure, <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's, let's do this. Mm -hmm. And, um, ended up writing a book that was called a uh, programmer's introduction to PHP 4.0. And that published in January of 2001, if I'm not mistaken, I effectively dropped everything and, and uh, wrote that book over the, over the course of about four and a half months. Okay. And I mean, I just, I dropped everything and just wrote full time because I was so excited about this you know, interesting opportunity. Mm -hmm. And uh, that book published, and it did it did moderately well. But what that did was really give me the the writing bug, and really motivated me to devote uh, an increasing amount of time to to writing. And that led to the next book, which published in two thousand and four, and the next in oh five, and and here we are. Uh, this is hard to believe, but fourteen years later, yeah. and um, I just published the ninth book through through LeanPub. So it's, um, um, and I guess along the way, I um, stepped further into the the publishing industry. I had spent uh, several years working as A Press's open source editorial director, oh, okay. so acquiring um, books that fell into the the open source genre of all types, Linux. MySQL, Postgres, you name it, pretty much anything exciting that, that was open source related. Uh, I worked with um, authors to, to publish their books. So that was, uh, that was a lot of fun as well. But uh, here we are again, 14, 15 years later and um, still, still writing away and still having a, a great time doing it. That's, that's, that's a really great, great, um, great story. I, was, um, I, have, I have obviously quite a few questions about your opinions about publishing and 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 uh, you know the industry and where it's going, um, and your experience. But I, I, before I get to those, I just got a couple of other questions I'd like to ask about. Um, I know that you um, you're a co-founder of the the annual Code Mash conference, which is the largest multi-day developer deve uh, event in the Midwest. And I was just wondering if you could explain a little bit about what Code Mash is and and why you helped found it. Sure, uh, Code Mash is uh, an annual event that is held here in Northern Ohio in a town called Sandusky, Ohio, which is also home to Cedar Point, the, the large amusement park, just for point of reference. And uh, Code Mash was started 
uh, I guess 11 years ago, give or take, uh, by myself, a gentleman named Brian Prince, and another gentleman named Jim Holmes. And Codemash came out of a series of conversations that a, that a group of us had about the Midwest and the lack of, at the time, now this has very much changed, but the, the lack of tech conferences. Given our three respective professions, it just so happened that we traveled on a regular basis uh, to either, well, really all over the country, uh, but to the East and West Coast primarily to attend tech conferences. I was at the time working, in fact, for a press as an, as an editor, and that meant going out and meeting prospective authors all, the, all of the time. And one of the best places to do that, logically, is at conferences. Mm -hmm. So I would attend all of the conferences and um, always marveled over how they were always in California or always in Portland or mm -hmm. Seattle or New York or Boston. And this despite there being a very large technical community here in the Midwest. And uh, we just really concluded that the, the Midwest uh, and Ohio in particular wasn't getting its due in that regards and had the crazy idea, trust me, very crazy idea, that we would change that and start a conference. And uh, that conference became Codemash. And Codemash is, I, I think, a very unique event in that, well, A, it's held in Sandusky, Ohio, which is not a tech hub for starters, mm -hmm. but it also happens to be held in a place called the Kalahari Water Park and Convention Center. And the Kalahari is the largest indoor water park in the United States, among other oh, things. Wow. Well, we hold this uh, in January, which Sandusky being in the northern part of Ohio is a very cold place, very snowy. So we have this interesting... Oh, scenario where the weather is usually absolutely <laughs> horrible, but there's a large group of uh, attendees inside because the Kalahari is like a small city. It's, it's a very large complex inside wearing shorts and sandals. And it, it's you know, almost like a tropical environment inside. It's really kind of funny. And so we have the water park. There's all of the the things that you might imagine would, would come with that water park. There's a large arcade. There's, there's all, all sorts of forms of entertainment. Uh, but at the same time, the, the conference, which is now uh, four days in duration, um, hosts, I've lost track, somewhere north of 250 sessions over four days, oh, wow. uh, half-day sessions, which are four hours, full-day sessions, which are eight hours, and then something like 200 one-hour sessions on the Thursday and Friday. We, all, there are, we also have something called Kids Mash, which is a companion kids conference. So the attendees, because the Kalahari is a fun place for mm -hmm. families to attend, uh, the kids have the opportunity, if they'd like, to attend Kids Mash and learn about robotics and uh, learn about programming and technology in general. So... It certainly earned a reputation as being a uh, very family-friendly 
conference, and that's something that you certainly do not see at other conference venues. Um, Over the years, we've hosted uh, a a number of different bands. So we've had a number of, I guess, rock bands, if you will, play on Thursday night. We have a water park party and and, um, all sorts of, there's a game room that goes on, I think, 18 hours a day where you can play Settlers of Catan and all kinds of other interesting games. So uh, it's a, a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of networking goes on. Uh, the, the, the event has grown to somewhere north of 2,000 attendees. Um, so great networking, great opportunity to learn. And over the years, uh, even as the conference has grown, uh, we've stayed true to the really central idea that it would be low cost. If you go to the, the, the West Coast or the East Coast, because the, the cost of everything is much higher, I mean, the cost to rent a conference center in Portland is just astronomical, right? Uh, because it's so much higher, you wind up paying a pretty hefty price for a conference ticket. Boat mm-hmm. mash for all four days is just a couple hundred dollars. We have a very special hotel rate. Yes, absolutely. And the, the conference is a, it's a, a nonprofit, 5063. And um, we, the, the, the committee has certainly stayed true to, to that tenet of, of providing this low-cost, high-quality event, right? And just, just to clarify, I, I say we because, of course, this goes back more than a decade, and I'm still in you know, many ways very wedded to, to the conference. But I, I and one of the other co-founders, we call it retired as of last year. So we are um, um, consulting members to the board, if you will, which means we complain about, you know, whatever. And are generally, generally useless. But um, um, it's a great event. And if you're, I, I, I was going to say anywhere in the Midwest, consider attending. But the reality is if you're anywhere in the United States, mm-hmm. I would suggest giving it a look. We have people from California, Florida, Georgia, Texas. People come from overseas every year from England, from Germany. So it's grown to be uh, quite a sizable event, and I, I strongly recommend checking it out. Yeah, well, thanks for that. It sounds like a really great uh, great thing to have created and very um, innovative in, 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 the best, in the best sense of the term. Um, I have, um, just switching gears a little bit, I have, I have a question I read um, in the introduction to Easy Laravel 5, um, your lean sub book, that um, you've focused on PHP for much of your career, as you've been, as you've been saying in this interview, um, but that you wandered away from PHP for a while before coming back to it via Laravel. Um, can you maybe explain a little bit about, about this, this kind of professional journey and, and why, why you were sort of losing interest more or less in PHP and why you came back to it? Uh, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, back in, let's say, 2008, 2009, I think the sentiment is, was shared by, by a number of other programmers at the time. It had just felt like maybe the PHP language was being passed by, I guess, in a sense, I mean, by other emerging technologies, right? It, certainly, this is maybe a, a general characteristic fault of many developers, my, myself included, in that you're always looking for the next new interesting shiny object to to uh to to learn about and 
there was quite a bit going on at that time. I mean, Node had just come out in uh, 09. I think Angular had just come out. Um, Rails, of course, was was very very hot topic at the time. It just seemed like there was a lot going on in these other areas that wasn't necessarily going on in PHP. And you know, it almost sounds like an accusation when in reality maybe I, I maybe I was and was part of the problem, right? Being an open source project, if I had felt that and, and others had felt that, you know, maybe we should have, uh, you know, attempted to inject some excitement into uh, the community. But at any rate, there were a number of individuals who did do that, right? And I, I think this sentiment was, was um, widely held at the time. And, um, I, I, so I had stepped away and not stepped away. I, I just had gotten caught up in doing uh, a lot of rails work at the time, frankly. Mm. And, uh, but nonetheless, having been involved with PHP for so long over the years, of course, I just kept an eye on what was, what was going on. And, you know, out of nowhere, along comes, for instance, composer, the package manager, which was a, and, and still is a huge, um, improvement to the overall workings of, of, of PHP application development. And uh, then, of course, a number of frameworks really started to get popular. We saw a lot of micro frameworks come out of nowhere. Laravel came along. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, there was PHP went from, you know, being an area that, although still in very widespread usage, I mean, there's no debate about that, just not being a particularly exciting place to be in suddenly became a, an incredibly hot topic again. And uh, really it was Laravel in particular that caught, captured my attention. And, um, you know, and here we are, I have since written two books about the topic, mm -hmm. but uh, it's just, it was really interesting. And I think exciting to see this community, um, that had, has been so prominent for so long, really, it has the second wind right now, or maybe third wind. But, um, you know, I think there's really no more exciting time than now to be a PHP developer, which is pr pretty cool, considering the language is, I, I guess, technically 20 years old, right? Yeah. And you can't really say that about a lot of programming languages. It's just a very exciting time for PHP developers, and I'm glad to be part of it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, I speaking about your books, um, I noticed um that, um, sometimes you involve the the, the idea of a, a, um getting the person who's reading the book involved in in the development of a real world project, and I found um the arcade nomad project to be fascinating in particular, and and after I read it, lost lost some time doing retro gaming. Um, oh, right. Uh, um, I I was uh specifically Shinobi, um, which I uh. Which I, I'd, I'd forgotten that, you know, if you like touch someone or something, you just die. That's right. There's no health points or anything like that. You're just gone. Um, I have a Shinobi arcade game in my house. Yeah, here in my house. It's one of my favorite video games of all time. Oh, yeah, it's it's fantastic. Um, and I, yeah, but on that topic, I, I noticed that, um, well, I guess actually before I move on, I have another a question related to that. But can you give us a little bit of a description about what the Arcade Nomad Project is um, and what inspired it? Sure. So... I am a very big believer of including uh, companion projects in the book. So basing the book around some sort of thematic 
project that uh, would would certainly be something that would be a viable real world application that somebody might want to build and maybe turn into a business, right? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I'm very adamant about only writing about technologies and topics that interest me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I think I think you're going to write a better book if if you're truly into the topic and interested in the topic, then I think a better book is going to is going to come out of it. And being a child of the 80s, I spent a heck of a lot of time uh, playing arcade games inside malls and gas stations and grocery stores and you name it. And uh, of course, as the years have passed, those those arcade games have become very few and far between. There's at least here in Ohio, there's almost no arcades left. So uh, I thought it would be interesting to basically build a companion project that uh, would allow fellow interested um, aficionados, if you will, of arcade games to add their uh, add arcade games that they find out in the wild. Maybe if they're at a gas station or a laundromat or whatever, uh, they could uh, add the game uh, to the site and uh, help fellow arcade gamers uh, find those as they're passing by. So that was that became the theme project for uh, Easy Active Record for Rails developers, and um, I had a lot of fun building it. And unfortunately, I don't uh, travel anywhere near as much as I used to, so I I don't <laughs> exactly contribute to the site. But uh, yeah, you you really want you really want a project that captures the attention or the fascination of the reader. And, and can hold their attention throughout the course of the book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether the reader is 20 years old or, or 50 years old, I think pretty much, I'm stereotyping a bit here, but pretty much everybody in tech can relate to video games at one level or another. Oh, yeah. Sorry. On that note, on that note I actually noticed something really um, an interesting element to your latest book, um, Easy E-Commerce Using Laravel and Stripe, in which... Um, in which you have uh, there, there's sort of a gaming element built into it, where there's this fictitious lawn care company named We Do Lawns. That's right. And there's this. I realized that there's this villain who's actually a boss, um, whom you set up as the surly company owner Todd McDo, and you're you as the the reader of the book are are writing are, are set up in this narrative where you're actually writing, you know, uh, work for this for this uh, company owner and trying to sort of satisfy him at the end of each chapter. That's right. It, it, um, easy e-commerce using Laravel and Stripe was without a doubt um, the book that I had the most fun writing. And that was with a co-author, Eric Barnes, who's also the founder of the very popular Laravel News website and uh, newsletter, and uh, had an absolute blast writing this book with Eric. And what the, the whole concept, if you will, of, of the We Do Lawns fictional company and its owner, Todd McDo, and its uh, uh, assistant, uh, Patty Organo, uh, came about just during the, the course of a very early conversation that, that Eric and I had about the, uh, the book. And we, we knew we wanted to do uh, or do and base it around a companion project. And 
Um, I'm pretty sure it was Eric that came up with the idea of the landscaping company. And, and I think the name as well. And so we bought the domain, like, because of course, that's the first thing you do when you think of any project, right? You <laughs> rush out <laughs> and buy the domain before somebody else snaps it up. Mm-hmm. And that just very quickly evolved into this story within a story in which we had this, the company owner, Todd McDew, and he's a very gruff individual who he knows he wants the website, but he, he doesn't like tech. And uh, so he begrudgingly basically works with you, the reader to, to build the site. So we wanted to inject, I guess, even though it's of course a little melodramatic, we, wanted to inject this sense of realism into the book where not only certainly are you learning about Laravel and Stripe, but you're additionally if getting some sense of the tension, I guess, that you might encounter when you're working with a client who might not be entirely rational. He might be um, making odd requests for certain features and things like that. So we just had fun with it. And I think the book is much, much better because of it. That's, we have some really, you know, I, I hope funny dialogue at the end of each chapter in which you're interacting with Mr. McDew and you're telling him about the features and he's asking questions, very valid questions mm-hmm. and offering his opinion. So, you know, not all tech books need to be boring and dry and very, academic in nature. I mean, the reality is you can write a book that people enjoy reading and and have fun reading Mm -hmm. and hopefully learn something from it that ultimately enriches their careers. And that's the type of book I want to write. And I have a hard time believing I'll I'll ever write a book that does not include some sort of companion project for, for those very reasons. On, 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 on that subject, on the subject of your writing and your, your experience with publishing and the kind of books you want to write, um, I wanted to ask you, um, given, given you've had you know, experience writing a, a successful print book and your, your work with A-Press, um, I'd like to know why you, why you decided to switch to LeanPub. How many hours do we have? <laughs> um, the, my... my um, interaction with A-Press, as I mentioned, goes back uh, 15 years now. And I, I'm still great friends with, with many of their employees and um, their A-Press is very much a part of me in, in many, many ways. Um, but the, and, and you're right, I, I did uh, write a very successful book uh, for A-Press that has been in print for 11 years next month. And that's that's very hard to believe. The book is called Beginning PHP in MySQL uh, in its fourth edition. And that was published in June of 2004. So we're fast approaching its 11th year in print. And I mean, by any measure, that's a rare, I, I mean, I, extraordinarily lucky uh, outcome or result to, to have a book that's been in print that long. But, and granted, I mean, and of course, you know, I've had a royalty stream for 11 years uh, because of that book, and it, it's worked out great. I can't imagine it could have worked out any better, right? So logically, and I believe me, I've been asked this question many times, right? Logically, why, why would you um, 
not continue working in that fashion, right? Mm -hmm. And it, the answer is, I think, complicated, but it really boils down to several key factors. First and foremost being control, right? I have complete control over how I write the book, how I go about writing the book, um, what my schedule is going to be uh, for the book, how I want to market the book, right? Do I want to sell it just electronically or do I want to do a print book, which I, I have done. I self-published uh, Easy PHP websites um, with the Zen framework back in 09 and 10. And I published that as a real deal print book through a real a uh, very famous computer book printer up in Michigan called Malloy and went through the process, process of really publishing it in a very traditional fashion, right? Mm -hmm. I've since moved away uh, from that because electronic format has become, without a doubt, the predominant way to purchase computer books these days. But, you know, it's certainly control is a big part of it. I, I control all of those factors now, and I, I very much like that. But let's, I mean, let's not beat around the bush here. It, it also comes down to uh, the revenue side, mm -hmm. right? And and it, a press is it is almost becomes irrelevant when we move on to the revenue side because all traditional book publishers generally structure their comp compensation agreements, their their royalty agreements, in the very same way, right? Mm -hmm. Typically, an author gets uh, an advance, which could be anywhere between, let's call it three and six or seven thousand dollars these days. And there's also the royalty stream that comes from it, which typically, again, typically, it, this does vary a bit, but typically starts at 10, 12 percent. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, what a, and what a lot of first time authors do not understand is that that comes from the the net sale of the book. So if a book has a price tag of let's call it $50, uh, it's sold into a, a chain, Amazon, what have you, at a discount because logically the, the retailer needs to make money. So they're not buying it at list, they're buying it at a discount. And I, I'll just, I'm just throwing out a number here, let's just to keep this straight, let's say it's 50%. So a $50 book is sold in at $25. That is the number from which royalties are calculated. Okay. So if, and again, just using the number 10% to keep this simple, $25 uh, sell-in uh, gives the author a $2.50 per unit royalty. Okay. And there's a million different other factors that come into play in regards to that money. There are, um, uh, that money, of course, is uh, paid out a quarter in arrears. So you're looking at uh, six months before you see that money. But of course, the advance needs to be recouped, which makes perfect sense. But also, a certain percentage of those royalties are held often up to a year and a half because of potential returns, right? Which these days is really kind of irrelevant considering everything's almost everything is electronic, right? Or print on demand. So there's a lot of revenue related factors that come into play as well. Now, granted, this is not, and I want to be very clear about this. This is not to imply 
that a publisher is, you know, taking you, you know, behind the woodshed in terms of making money because they have editors, they have marketing, they have printing, they have uh, production, they have offices, they have all of this infrastructure that self-publishers logically do not have. And that's a great benefit to a lot of first-time authors because, well, you get an editor, <laughs> which are expensive. You get a marketing team. You get all of these extra things, right? But that plays a big part in determining what, in terms of the, the monetary side, what you wind up earning. And I invite everybody to, to pull out their spreadsheet and, and do some math to figure out how many copies you have to sell, again, using that $2.50 per book number, to make real, you know, to make a decent amount of money. You have to sell a lot. You have to sell a lot, especially when you take into consideration the certainly hundreds, if not thousands of hours that you've put into writing the book, right? Mm -hmm. And that, um, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Now, on the flip side of that, working through a service such as LeanPub, uh, uh, Lean Pub and, and um, very happy um, to that they are because obviously Lean Pub has its expenses. Lean Pub's only taking ten percent of the sale, meaning the author gets ninety percent. Mm -hmm. Right? It completely turns, quite literally, and given the example that we're using, uh, that revenue uh, agreement upside down. Right? The author, the content creator. Uh, earns the majority of the money derived from the sale. Mm -hmm. And um, again, I invite everybody to run those numbers. <laughs> They're completely different. Now, you do not have a marketing team. You do not have editors. You, there are a lot of things that you do not have. But because that revenue model is flipped on its head, you only have to sell a fraction of the number of books that you would otherwise have to sell through a publisher to, to earn the same amount of, of money. So maybe went on a bit of a tangent there, but it's very important, I think, that people who are weighing whether they should use a traditional publisher or a, um, or, or a self-publishing service such as LeanPub, I think it's very important that they understand that dynamic. Um, because all, although, you know, if you ask the question to any publisher, they're going to be perfectly clear and explain that that very um, matter to you, um, I still think it's lost on a lot of first-time authors. So there's the control side of things, and there's the revenue side of things, and of course there's the customer side of things. When working through a publisher, I, I have no idea who bought my book unless they email me, right? I have no idea. Mm -hmm. And uh, using uh, a publishing service such as LeanPub, of course, uh, I can email those authors through the LeanPub interface, which I do on a regular basis, interact with many, many more readers than I would otherwise be able to working through a traditional publisher, which and that's an aspect of book writing that I absolutely love. It's really great to find out what uh, what other people are working on and how they're using my book to to accomplish that, um, you know, maybe jumping back to the 
the, the revenue and control side of things again, um, another great um, advantage of self-publishing is the flexibility. Um, when you take a look at the Easy Laravel book, for instance, I, I sell the book. I also sell the book plus three and a half hours of video. I also sell the book plus the videos plus consulting, right? If you would like to consult over Skype, maybe I could look at your code. Maybe I could explain some of the more uh, complex aspects of Laravel or PHP in general. Um, there's that option as well. And those options just aren't because of the nature of the beast when it comes to traditional publishing. Those options really aren't readily available. You just you can't do that stuff so easily. Right. Oh yeah. Well, and, and on that note, I mean, thank you, thank you very much for that. I really appreciate all the detail. I think you explained everything, everything very well. Um, and yeah, on, on that note, when it comes to doing things that maybe couldn't be done before, and in particular in relation to royalties, that's that's one of the our, our big hopes for what we're. There's this sense in which we're hoping to kind of unlock the creation and the successful publication of books that it previously would never have been written because let's say you're writing, especially in the technical space, let's say you're a specialist and there's only a thousand other people out there in the entire world who are, who are sort of sophisticated enough in an area to be interested in reading a book. Well, conventionally, how would you, you know, what publisher is going to take you up on that? How That's much, right. How much of a commitment are they going to really make to it? And how, you know, in a certain sense of a sort of a return, how, how valuable is it for you as an author to do that? Well, now, you know, with, with something like LeanPub that pays, you know, 90% royalty minus 50 cents per transaction, if you can sell, if you can reach 500 of those thousand people, but sell the book at 20, at, you know, say 20 or even $50 per book, but you're getting a 90% royalty, suddenly it actually becomes worth it. Um, Absolutely. And so there's a whole, there's a whole kind of like new space opened up for, for, for um, especially specialists, but anyone to, to, to actually write a book and, 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 you know, make, make, you know, some, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, make some, get a, get a car or whatever it is you need to do or, or pay some, pay some tuition for, for your kids or something like that. You know, it's this, it's whole new way of, of, uh, of, uh, making publishing valuable to, to authors. That's right. And, and you're, you hit the nail really on the head that, that book, if the perceived audience were 500 to a thousand members, that book just would not be signed. And, and logically, I mean, this makes perfect sense. A, a traditional publisher is just not going to look at that because it, it, it would be in turn a hard sell for them to get it into the retail chains, right? I mean, right. what retail chain is going to want to want to put a pre-order in on a book that uh, has such a small perceived audience, right? Whereas with LeanPub, that is a, a, a if if an author can turn around and reach that five, those 500 members or the, the thousand members that for all involved is a fantastic outcome. Yeah. And one of the, one of the, um, yeah, no, yeah, I completely agree. And, and one of the, um, one of the interesting things that's kind of unlocked by this, this approach as well is that it, including self-publishing is that, um, and in progress publishing that you can do, do with LeanPub is that, um, especially in the technology space where things can move really fast. Um, that's why we with some of our authors that we've spoken to, they're like, well, as much as they love, you know, their 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 publisher, maybe for a lot of people had their first or second book, um, you know, published conventionally, but but they're like, but the you know the you know one 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 person I forget who it was, um, uh, one of the first interviews we did for this this podcast series, um, said that you know he had he had between starting a book and having it appear in the bookstores, he had he had a child, 
Um, Absolutely. You know, yeah. and, 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 you know, the, yeah, the, the, the world moves on, um, you know, from when you start writing to when, to when something gets finished and that the That's timeline right. of a conventional publisher just, just often, often actually leaves your book comes out and it's, you know, like you were a thought leader when you started reading it, but no one knew that. And by the time it comes out, it looks like just conventional stuff. And this is a very good point, and and I can draw upon very recent experience with the Easy Laravel Five book. That book published on February fourth or fifth of this year, and I tallied it up coincidentally yesterday. I have released a hundred and five updates to that book since February fourth. Bug fixes, new chapter improvements to sections, you name it. 105 updates, okay? If if that book had gone through a traditional publisher, when that February 4th date hit and the book was released, you're looking, unless there is a really egregious error like Showstopper, mm -hmm. you're looking at minimum six months for updates to, to occur just because that's just the way it works. You're just you're it, it, it. There's just a process that is 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 just necessarily lengthy to do those sorts of updates. Now now put that uh, contrast that with what I've just done here over the last three months. I released 105 updates to readers, and it's so easy through LeanPub. I mean, I I, I manage everything in Git, GitHub. Uh, obviously, write the book in Markdown, manage it in Markdown, and uh, a reader, maybe a reader emails me and uh, says, hey, this changed. And this just happened last week. This changed in Laravel. You need to update this path. No problem. I open up Sublime, make the change, commit the change, go into the LeanPub interface, publish new version. If it's a if it's a big change, I tell the readers. If it's not, I just do the update and you know not bother anybody. And uh, it's great. I mean... It, in terms of writing environments, and and I think I've used them all over the years, whether it's Word or DocBook, um, LaTeX, you, you name it, this is the perfect writing environment. I can write the book in my code editor, which also happens to be Sublime. I can use the very same tools that I use every day for, for other work to uh, Git, namely GitHub, to manage the book. And then, and maybe most importantly of all, I can use the LeanPub production mechanism. I press the magic button and the book is formatted. Having gone through in 2009, 2010 with my first self-published book, I went out and this is how insanely stupid I am sometimes. I went out and bought in design, spent $700 or whatever it was, laid out the book myself to printer specifications at the time because that book was, it was printed as well as an electronic format and just had a horrible time managing all of that and making the book look good. Mm -hmm. And, um, Use DocBook in a subsequent book. That was that was great too, but still uh, a, quite a process, a chore, right? I, that's not my strength. I, I'm not a production editor. I want to write. 
-hmm. I don't want to make the book look good. I mean, I want it to look good, mm -hmm. but I don't want to invest my time in doing it. Mm -hmm. And Lean Pub does that flawlessly. The book turned, it looks professional. It looks great. I mean, I, I don't know what else I could go on and on about how great hey, well, it looks. Well, uh, thanks. Thanks very much. I mean, I, we, re we really appreciate, appreciate um, hearing that. Um, you know, it's been a uh, customer development is a very important sort of philosophy at, at Lean Pub, you know, the Steve Blank kind of philosophy. And, and um, yeah, it's been, uh, you know, it's been through interacting with people, with the authors directly that we've managed to, to, to build, you know, the Lean Pub engine, as it were, to something that, that is hopefully a, a more or less auto magical, um, you know, book creation button now. That's right. Um, actually, I've got a, I've got a very, and again, thank you very much for your, for your kind words. Um, I wanted to, I actually have a very kind of a working author kind of um, question for you. I noticed that um, all your Lean Pub books have the minimum and suggested prices set to the same amount. And, and for anyone listening, um, on Lean Pub, authors actually set a suggested price for their book, which is presented to customers on their landing page. But they can also set a minimum price that is lower than that. And, and LeanPub um, customers can actually take a slider and slide that down to the minimum price if they want to, or they can slide it up and even pay more than the suggested price. Um, so yeah, Jason, I was wondering what, what led to your decision to make the minimum and suggested prices the same on all your books. You know, this is going to be a very anticlimactic answer. <laughs> I, I've never given it that much thought. I mean, it's definitely a cool feature of LeanPub. And you see, I mean, I'm always, always scouring the Lean Pub catalog and just looking at the different books because it interests me more than anything else. And I see that a lot of authors do set those differently. I just, I don't know. I just haven't given it that much thought at that level of detail. Uh, the Basically, my approach to pricing is really simplistic and really underscores my general uh, lack of expertise in, in that side of publishing. Uh, I try, I, I start out by setting a price that I think is reasonable and fair and, and reachable by your average readers, not something too extraordinarily expensive. And which tends to fall around $30 more or less. And then I will slightly tune it, which is another great <laughs> aspect of self-publishing. I will start to tune it in the weeks that follow. If, if, if the book is not selling as many copies as I had maybe thought, well then logically I'll drop the price a couple of dollars. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and over the period of weeks, I basically try and find the perfect balance for the for the book price. But I, I just haven't given the the whole minimal pricing concept um, much more thought, you know, much more thought than that. I'm just I'm just trying to find, a, I, again, a fair and reasonable price. And I, I leave it at that and and basically put the majority of my time and effort into continuing to improve the book as quickly as possible following that initial publication. Yeah. Well, then, you know, thanks for that. That's a, I think that's a, that's a great answer. Um, um, you know, it includes a lot of things, including, um, you know, changing the price over time, but also, you know, uh, taking into account where your energy and attention ought to be best directed when you're working on a project. And we have, you know, we have some, 
we've we've had some authors who you know they really they really think they just obsess over over pricing and you know what's the psychological impact of having a different minimum price from a suggested price and that doesn't necessarily mean they'll they'll do it one way or the other but they really like but other you know and other people are like you know what you know the pricing is not something that I want to spend a lot of time thinking about yeah you know obviously people will will adjust it and and maybe have sales like a coupon sure. on Twitter every once in a while but you know it's 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 a really interesting thing how you know sometimes the way you optimize your process is by sticking to the things you really care about and not not trying to be not trying to be someone you're not and get involved in a in a in a type of you know customer engagement maybe that isn't that isn't you know just something you're really interested in to to the to the audience i'm i'm sitting here listening to this and really smiling ear to ear because that in a nutshell describes the the transition that i've made as a self publisher over the last 5 years 6 years back in 09 when i published the zen framework book as i mentioned earlier i was doing the production myself i was i designed the cover myself and if you've ever seen anything i designed i am horrible at it i designed the original cover myself I um, I had an e-commerce site set up through wjgilmore.com. So I was managing the sales myself. Well, I ask everybody, how much time did I have left to write books? Mm -hmm. Not much, because I was dealing with all of this other stuff that were not my core competencies, right? And over time, as I learned the hard lessons, in regards to understanding what my core competencies are, writing books and, and, and hopefully talking to a lot of customers or potential customers about those books, sticking to those competencies rather than trying to be a control freak and manage everything else, right? The, in, in the last eight months or so, I published the Active Record book in August on LeanPub has without a doubt been from a writing perspective, the most productive eight months of my career. There is no question. I've, I've uh, let's see, 200, I've written, boy, over 500 pages of published material and have at least another 500 pages in development right now. So, and, and I mean, without a doubt, not dealing with production, not dealing with e-commerce, not dealing with cover design has freed up the, the time to do that. So, I mean, a very important lesson there to be learned um, because it is, it's easy to get caught up in pricing and fret over that and mm -hmm. easy to get caught up in all this other stuff that is not part of what, not only what you're good at, but what you enjoy doing. I never enjoyed that stuff, right? I mean, I guess the e-commerce stuff was, I've, that's always been fun, but I just never liked that other stuff. You know, that, I like writing, and I—that's I, all I want to do. It's interesting that um, you know, in the in the context of technical publishing, but it reminds me of a an old colleague of mine who, when he got his, he's a, an English professor, and when his first book of poetry was published, I talked to him about it, and he said, "Of all the things I had to go through to get my book published, almost none of them had anything to do with writing poetry." That—that's right. Um, so yeah, it's true. It's true across across genres because of the way the uh, the industry has always worked. Yeah, I mean, it, to to be frank though, I mean, even in self publishing, I, you know, I, the the last twenty percent 
of the time spent on any book, self-published or otherwise, is by far the most stressful and the most time-consuming precisely because you have a million little details to wrap up. And I think I would love to know, you know, I'd love to be the fly buzzing around every would-be author's room because it's that time that I believe most book projects wind up uh, dying because the author becomes so tired and frustrated uh, with himself and with the process that there are probably countless books uh, that have never been published simply because that last 20% uh, of the project is so rough. So, you know, by, by removing all of these other um, very important tasks from my stack, I can power through that 20% much, much more effectively than before. On, on that note, actually, I, I have one one last question for you. Sure. Um, uh, is is there anything on LeanPub that uh, you would like us to improve, or that something that you think is is missing, um, or or that would just make your workflow sure. your workflow even better? I would say that the the book cover or book cover the 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 dedicated book pages. Mm -hmm are great. I mean, in that they serve the, the very obvious purpose of, of telling would be customers about the book's contents. I think those could use some work, okay. you know, and again, this is coming from, I just told you, I, I have zero design acumen, so I would not be the person to do that. Mm -hmm. But I think there would be some interesting opportunities to give authors the ability to add even more content to the book and maybe organize it a, a little better. Okay. Um, one of the reasons that um, I have companion websites for each book, uh, Easy Active Record book dot, is it book? EasyActiveRecord.com, EasyLaravelBook.com, EasyEcommerceBook.com. Uh, one of the reasons why I have those companion sites and maintain those, which is tedious, mm -hmm. Uh, is precisely because I can provide even more potential information to uh, readers. Now, at the same time, mm -hmm. I appreciate very much there being a single page for the book. The, the admin interface, you go in, you can um, use HTML source if you want in some cases. You can use Markdown in some cases. It's very streamlined. You can input the information, hit update, and be done with it. So there, there's two sides to that coin, right? On, on the one side, it's very streamlined and great. On the other side, I just wonder if there would be the opportunity to add a little bit of additional information. Um, but, uh, I mean, other than that, I very much enjoy the service. Um, you know, I mean, little, I, in, as your colleagues know, I... <laughs> email hello at lean pub probably once every two weeks saying, did you know this is, you know, broken or whatever and little minor things. Mm -hmm. And I think, boy, these guys must really get irritated. when they oh, see. No, 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 quite, <laughs> quite the opposite, quite the opposite. That's, um, I mean, that's the, that's, you know, some of the most important work we do is, um, listening to people. And, and I, like, I'm not saying that in a precious way, like it really sure. is like the, that some of the most important work we do is listening to people. And, and of course, you know, I, I was, I've been saying this to someone recently, but one of the wonderful things about working with authors is that they, they like to write. 
Um, and, uh, yeah. and they have long attention spans. And so when it, it's sort of like the perfect kind of customer to have um, for customer development is, um, you know, people who sure. think, think hard about what they're doing and are, are investing a lot of time and, and thought in what they're doing. And sometimes their books are, you know, very important to them in terms of professionally, in terms of intellectually, and also personally. Um, and, and so, you know, any, any feedback we get uh, is, is very good for us. And we, we really appreciate it. Um, I just, yeah, I wanted to say, yeah, th thanks for that feedback about, about how we might be able to improve those, those, um, you know, initial pages in the book. And also sure. for what you were saying about your, your websites, because I noticed in particular with easyactiverecord.com, you have a, what readers are saying section, which would, um, you know, something like that would, you know, where people can put testimonials would probably be really useful. And, and, and much, much, those like, all books, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they have very profound impact on on book sales. Yeah, I mean stuff like that, right? Stuff to really polish the edges uh, of the page, because um, fundamentally, the, I mean, the, the important material is there, right? I mean, you guys definitely nailed that. Mm -hmm. But polishing the edges and adding those again, optional features—they don't have to be mandatory. But Certainly. maybe that. I guess now that I'm the, the gears are turning. <laughs> It would be interesting to receive uh, a little bit more in terms of uh, customer demographics. Mm. Um, for instance, country, right, right? or state. Um, little details like that because that helps. If if I wanted to do a Facebook campaign, mm -hmm. which I'm running right now, or a Twitter campaign, advertising campaign, well, because you can highly target individuals. Um, you know, and hopefully put your book in front of them, your advertisement, mm -hmm. having that sort of information, you don't, I, and I, I, I understand why lean pub doesn't divulge unless the reader request allows it. Right. I totally understand that why it, you know, lean pub doesn't divulge, uh, all of the customer details, but having some general information, state, country, city, um, or in any other, I guess, optional information, profile information that the customer again, would like to divulge mm -hmm. that would be pretty useful mm -hmm. that would be that would be pretty useful okay yeah, yeah. No, thanks thanks for that that's a really good yeah. good suggestion and um you know we do we do have some google analytics i think that that you can use for for, for tracking kind of um people who come to your web page or to your i do use that who convert yep. but, but as you say you know obviously for us there's always this this trade-off right where we know something might you know having more information obviously the kind of author who's into it wants to have uh, you know, as much information and, and publishers who use LeanPub as well, you know, want to have as much information as they can. But we also, it's, you know, very important to us to protect, to protect you know, readers so that they, it, it, so that information that's important to them isn't being, you know, that they, we, we don't basically want people to opt out. That's just not very, not very that's right. LeanPub to make Yeah, to totally out. agree with you there. So yeah. so yeah, so I mean, people who, people can opt in to share email addresses with authors and things like that. But, you know, and so for example, the feature you were describing earlier where you can actually email your readers, that's done through, as you said, that's done through the LeanPub kind of form so that actually they don't see your email address and they and you don't see theirs. That's right, that's um, right. Um, so it's, and that's that's something that we've had a lot. You know, there are there are people that just, that's that actually is kind of a, there's a certain type of author for whom that is a deal breaker. They're like, I want my list. Absolutely. Uh, I, know Absolutely. The, I want as much information as I can get about 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 the customers, and that's that's just always a trade off for us. And we've got a pretty, you know, straightforward position on it. Um, but it's it's always something that we can we can kind of you know work work to improve and maybe even be just clearer about.
Yeah. And my answer to that is a simple one because I've had this very conversation with, with other lean pub authors and customers about that, that concept. And if, if you are adamant about collecting uh, other customer information, which I, I get that side of it as well. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Well, then there, there are other services out there in which you can do that. If, if that is what you need, then, then go there mm-hmm. or build a list through a newsletter. Right. I mean, there, there, there are other ways yeah. in which I do exactly that. I manage my email list through, uh, in my case, MailChimp mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and use LeanPub for a significant part of my sales. So it's a, you know, it, it, LeanPub strikes, in my opinion, an appropriate balance in that regard, because I put myself in the position of the of the reader. Mm-hmm. If I'm the reader, do I necessarily want to divulge, you know, my details to a, a potential author? I don't know. I don't know, maybe, but but as the customer, I appreciate having that choice. Yeah, well, thanks thanks very much for that. Um, and yeah, I think our time is just about up, but thanks very much for being on the Lean Publishing Podcast and for being a Lean Pub author. Oh, it's my pleasure, and thank you very much for your time. Thanks.